Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Joshua Liebman, founder of Backlooper and co-host of the brilliant Attraction Pros podcast. We discuss guest experience, customer loyalty, and managing negative feedback on social media. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Josh, it is so lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Kelly, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great. I'm very excited to chat. So we had a really good chat last week on your fabulous podcast, Attraction Pros. We'll talk about that in a little while. But as you know, because I do know that you're an avid listener of of Skip the Queue, (laughs) so you're prepared (laughs) for our icebreaker round. So I've got a few questions that I'm going to kick off with. All right. I'm as prepared as I can be. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody gets to prepare for this. That is the fun bit. Right. What is the best theme park ride that you've ever been on? Oh, Millennium Force at Cedar Point, Sandusky, Ohio. Oh, why is it your favorite? Why is it so good? Ah, so many great things about it. The, you know, there's, there's the aesthetic appeal of it. It's just a, it's an amazing uh, structure while you're on it. You, you have an amazing view of not only the park, but also Lake Erie, the Sandusky Bay, Uh, the speed and the pacing that it picks up. It's a smooth ride, but not so smooth that it feels like you're sitting on your living room couch. And, uh, you know, you, you hit the brake run going at, at more than 60 miles an hour. So it never lets up throughout the entire ride experience. Oh, I like it. See, you describing that, that makes me think that you've been on a lot of rides. There was a real kind of depth of experience. <laughs> okay, all right, next one. If you could only watch one film for the rest of your life, what would it be? Can it be a, a three-way tie for the entire Back to the Future trilogy, or do I just have to pick one? No, I, no, I can accept that. That's, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, Back to the Future. Tri- so would it, is it a tie between one, two, and three for you? I like to think it is. I, I think I've seen it enough to now be able to to point out some areas in some of the films that were maybe lacking during some others and then watching some director's commentary and seeing their validation for that. But maybe that only enhances the appreciation for it. So it's, you know, it's tough to say. Okay. <laughs> I have got a really, um, a really vivid memory of going on the Back to the Future ride four times on the trot with my parents years uh-huh. ago in Florida. That was a brilliant ride. It sure was. I'm probably aging myself as well because it's not there anymore is it <laughs> this is a real no it's uh, yeah it's been gone since uh, I want to say 2007 or so so yeah it was it was ahead of its time and um, may it may it rest in peace and we'll always have the <laughs> yeah. memory I, I actually have so I have like the DVD box set of the trilogy but I also have a DVD of the original just because as a bonus feature it has the ride footage on it so oh, right. it's been a while since I've watched it but if I wanted to, to relive the ride I can Whoa, that is a, I would probably do that. I'm not going to lie. That would bring back some really good memories for me. Okay. Right. Have you ever been told you look like someone famous and who was it? <laughs> you know, what's funny is we were actually just talking about this on the Attraction Pros podcast not too long ago. Because uh, we had we had a guest who was mistaken for Nicolas Cage at a, at a oh. park. It was David Rosenberg. He was the, the former chair of IAPA. So he was talking about that. Um I, I've gotten I've gotten a couple. I, I would say about twenty years ago, I used to get Dustin Diamond, who played Screech on Saved by the Bell. Oh, okay. 
I never took it as an insult. I don't think anybody, you know, meant it negatively. So I was, I was always flattered by that. But then when I, when I got into college, more people started to say Keanu Reeves, yeah. which I think is, is probably more flattering. It's, right? it's definitely more flattering. 100% more flattering. <laughs> <laughs> I can, but I, I could graduate and evolve. I can see a hint of Keanu there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, Keanu or Screech, I don't Yeah. Right. Not much of a toss up really, is it? Okay. And then last last icebreaker before the unpopular. If you had your own late night talk show, who would you invite on as your first guest? I feel like you kind of have, right? You've got a podcast, but this is slightly different. Who would I invite as my first guest? Uh, I've always wanted to sit down and just have a, a casual conversation with Jimmy Buffett, the singer songwriter. He's got some great stories to tell, and he just sounds like the the kind of person that you could just sit and have either a beer or a margarita with, uh, which you know we would do on my late night talk show, of course, uh, and and just just chat about life and hear some stories. Like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to have someone that's got good stories as you guess, definitely. Right, okay, last one. I ask this of everyone, so this is probably one that you are able to prepare. Tell me your unpopular opinion. So this is something that you believe to be true that almost nobody agrees with you on. <laughs> I think Nickelback is a treasure to the world of music. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that far, but I, I don't think they deserve nearly all the, all the hate and the flack that they, that they get. <laughs> I've seen them in concert a couple of times, paid for the ticket. I thought it was an entertaining experience. And, uh, and I, I've never really seen why, why they are the most hated band in history. <laughs> so I always question how controversial these are going to be. I feel like... But I was gonna, do we continue the interview? Is anyone still listening now? Do, it's you know. fine. We can carry on, Josh. Whether people will, will unsubscribe or not, I don't know. It's a worry. <laughs> well, hopefully I can make up for it with the rest of it. I'm, I have no doubt in you, Josh. I've got absolute faith. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> thank you for for letting me (laughs) right sometimes i have to open up every once in a while you know it's good let it out right i want to know there's you do lots of exciting things to start with so founder of backlooper which i have to say is a brilliant name co-host of the brilliant attractions pro podcast you've worked at disney world universal merlin cedar fair I want to know a little bit about your background, but I also want to know what it was that first drew you to the attractions world. Sure, absolutely. So I like to say that I was a consumer of the product prior to joining the industry. And uh, whenever my wife hears me say that, she'll interrupt and she'll say, Josh is obsessed with roller coasters. And you know, Okay, maybe maybe we're both right, right? I mean, both statements can be can be very true. It definitely uh, started as a as a hobby when I was a kid and growing up and wanting to learn more about really I would say you know the amusement park industry, the theme park industry, and then uh, right when I graduated high school, I got a job as a ride operator at Cedar Point on Millennium Force, my favorite roller coaster. Right. So if anything, that that only grew my passion and excitement for the industry. And uh, what, I, what I really enjoyed about that first job as a frontline employee was having been a, a consumer or an enthusiast for so many years of being able to get that look behind the curtain and being able to see the, the business operation 
that was going on and so much that goes so much that goes on behind the scenes that makes it look like nothing happened right that makes it look like you flipped on a switch and the park's open for the day and i i really remember wanting to learn more and more about that so i i then you know took on uh you know more roles within the industry i moved to orlando and you know was working for disney i ended up getting my degree in theme park management from the university of central florida i uh, went back got my master's degree in hospitality and tourism uh, worked for Universal while, while I was in Orlando, uh, opened a park in Myrtle Beach. It was Hard Rock Park um, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That was an amazing summer. Uh, opened Legoland uh, in Winter Haven, Florida, so uh, Legoland, Florida. Uh, part of my, my training, I, I came out to the UK, spent some time in Windsor at Legoland there, and uh, right. also some other Merlin properties, spent some time at Alton Towers, the most beautiful park in the world, hands down. Uh, spent some time at Chessington and at Thorpe Park and, and opened opened another small park in, in Southwest Florida and really, you know, became very, very passionate about not just the theme park side of it, not just the ride side of it. I was able, always able to keep that from a, a hobby standpoint, but being able to look into, you know, not just the business operations, but I really fell in love with the guest experience and the hospitality component of what makes our industry so great and really what makes us so special and how different of an experience it is when you're going to, whether it's a theme park or whether it's a botanic garden or a historic home, whether it's a for-profit or a non-profit attraction, it could be a zoo, museum, aquarium, that it, there is something very special about that experience and the people that you're sharing it with that is so different than uh, I, I guess I, I would say the the essential services, and I say this in air quotes because that's just become such a, a popular term uh, throughout COVID of a of a term I've I, I quickly did not like from the beginning, uh, or particularly the non-essential term, uh, because what we do very much is just so essential to bringing people together and providing the escapism that we all need in life and we've never needed that more than we need it right now. So that is, that is where my interest and my passion in the industry grew. And yeah, I still love, you know, riding as many roller coasters as I have and visiting new theme parks that I haven't been to and trying out the latest with, you know, whatever food you can fry and put it on a stick. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> do that all day long. And then, you know, from the, from the business side of things of looking at how the guest experience uh, implemented into the operation and, and having that guest experience mentality drives not just the hospitality and the positive service components, but also really tying it back to the bottom line. So using service and guest experience to increase per capita spending or spend per head uh, and increasing membership and increasing annual passes and increasing positive word of mouth and tying it in with online reviews. So these are all interconnected and that it's not an afterthought by any means to provide good or great service or to have that guest experience mentality. It all should be very much interwoven into the business. And I guess that brings us to where you are now, which is your new company. Now, and I say it's new because it's really new, isn't it? So Backlooper was founded in September 2020. So this is, I'm calling this, this is a Corona <laughs> company. So this is really, you know, launched at an incredibly challenging time. For not only the world, but for the sector that, that you do work in. Can you tell us what it's about and how you've come to 
kind of set this up now on, on your own? Sure, absolutely. So I'll back it up a little bit too and say that, you know, Backlooper is very much an evolution of a lot that I've been working on, a lot that I've been consulting on for several years. Uh, prior to focusing on Backlooper full time, I was with Amusement Advantage for the previous five years. Uh, Amusement Advantage is a, a mystery shop company specific, specifically within the attractions industry, uh, about 25 years old. And uh, when I came on about five years ago, it was really to build the company's consulting division um, and, and to help grow the mystery shop account management and sales from uh, from that standpoint as well. And uh, one of the consulting services that that I had that I even brought prior to Amusement Advantage that was that was run under that uh, that umbrella was this feedback analysis program that I had been developing for several years. So this goes back at least five or six years or so from this interest in measuring consumer sentiment. So really being able to take a broad look at the operation and looking at each guest's experience as an individual, both from the the micro level and then from the macro level and saying, how does this guest and particularly their experience fit into the big picture and the broader whole experience that we are providing? So Backlooper came about around last year, maybe last summer or so, as this evolution of a consulting service that I was providing, where now we were really able to tie in the guest feedback collection component and be able to increase the amount of data that they were getting compared to using the existing amount that maybe was coming in passively or that we were pulling from online reviews. And so it kind of came full circle. So now now Backlooper was able to be the feedback driver as well that then helps the operator respond to it too. And uh, throughout, like you said, would you say a Corona company company, Uh, (laughs) throughout the lockdown throughout, you know, when, when much of, you know, everything else was shut down, you know, I really had the, had the time just like, just like everybody else. We, we, we didn't have much, but we had time, right. To focus on, you know, what is what is Backlooper really doing? What are the elements of it? What is the value that it can provide and should provide, particularly during these times? And really giving the operators the opportunity to bring guests into the conversation to share what's important to them as far as how the business is being run. Now, prior to COVID, yeah, cleanliness and and sanitation were were common points of feedback that would come up, but now we're looking at it through a different lens of saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to come back because you weren't clean enough. That might be, you know, a a comment that people might have. Obviously before COVID, no one was commenting on how well attractions were enforcing mask policies or not. Now people are saying I had a bad experience because no one was wearing a mask. Uh, and, and of course, there's the flip side of that too, of the people who are saying, I can't believe you're enforcing mask policies. And that's, I would say, a whole other conversation, obviously. Uh, but people very much concerned about how comfortable they will be visiting an attraction. And so this is the type of feedback that I want to help operators collect. And I don't want them to learn about it from TripAdvisor or from online review sites where really the damage is already done. Oh, uh, yeah. There's something that, you, that I read that you put that that was a brilliant statement. It's and you said every organisation has flaws. You shouldn't be learning about yours from social media. And I thought, ab- yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't get to the point where people are posting negativity about 
what's happening in your organization on social media you should know about it before so this is exactly solves yeah it, it can be a buffer between what might be a bad experience or a guest who has a concern or a complaint and that negative review that even so even a negative review is a source of information it gives you something to to work on but you're sharing this in the public spotlight and even as you're trying to resolve that, you don't necessarily have the guest's contact information. You're, you're trying to reply as best you can to maybe get them to call you or get them to email you, but it's, it's swimming upstream. And that's one of the things that, that Backlooper can really help solve is saying, hey, here's the complaints, they're a private channel, and here's the guest's contact information, and we're, fly, we're flagging this one as a higher urgency. You need to get a hold of them first because now they run the risk of uh, sharing negative word of mouth, of posting a negative review, of having a negative experience linger beyond, uh, beyond just the initial visit. And you know, we, we now have an opportunity to win their business back. Yeah, because I guess you, you're kind of trying to put that barrier in place where we've, we've seen it happen. Somebody will post something negatively on social media. People will join in on that and it kind of escalates to, to a point that it didn't need to before you've potentially had chance to nip it in the bud or, or speak to somebody directly. And it's not good for anybody viewing that. So that's fantastic that you can put that barrier in place because social media is part of our world now. There's no getting away right. from it whatsoever. Yeah, and we can't we can't stop people from posting a negative review, you know. No. But but we can whatever we can put in place, we're finding that we're intercepting a lot of feedback that would become negative reviews. And so while it's not going to eliminate it altogether, it by substantially reducing it is a huge protection bubble for your your business's reputation. And so then the data and the information that's collected there, you can then use that to improve the service that you had. So you, you're turning what could have potentially been a negative situation into a real positive for your organization. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there is a, a two, two-fold approach to the feedback that comes in through Backlooper. And one of them is the guest service element and the guest feedback and response component of it. Uh, and then the other piece of it is the is identifying trends and the trend analysis. So that's where we have the micro view and the macro view. So from that that guest, that individual who's providing feedback, whether it's positive or negative, hopefully there's some form of follow up. And yeah, that follow up could be different if the guest had a, a raving positive experience uh, versus a, a guest who's got a, a negative experience that needs to be dealt with. Now, the operator's got the opportunity to have that follow up and that continued conversation with the guest put in place any type of service recovery that they need to, if there's any kind of compensation uh, that needs to go into effect for a future visit, they've got the opportunity to quickly, like you said, nip that in the bud, solve that quickly. And then now we take that data. And like I said, we, we determine how much does this fit into the greater piece of the puzzle uh, or how big is this piece in, in the, in the big picture and being able to say, uh, all right, this, this guest complained about, about um, crowds and wait time and service, but they said the food was great and the admissions employee was very friendly. All of those types of comments, they build up and you're able to pick out the trends and really identify, all right, what are the top concerns that we need to address? 
because each feedback on its own is one guest experience and should be resolved for that guest individually. And then as far as looking at what changes and what improvements need to be made, ideally that should be done with a large amount of data and that aggregated data so you can quantify the demand from your guests and be able to put those systems in place. And then by being able to continually watch those trends and watch that data comes in, come in, you're able to measure the success of the improvements that you're making so you can make any tweaks and adjustments. Because that's the exciting thing about operations is that it's never done, right? Especially, uh, you know, for locations that, that are open, that are regularly operating, that are serving guests, that this continual flow of data allows for the operation to continually improve. And one thing that I've always said is when it comes to guest experience, there's no ceiling. There is no limit whatsoever. You can always get better. You can always improve your operation. You can always improve the service that you provide. So guest experience is something that can only get bigger and bigger. There's no cap. There's no plateau to it. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about the operations side is never it's never done. It's never finished. And, and that's certainly the case at the moment, isn't it? With the situation that we're in in terms of COVID and how things are changing quite rapidly for, you know, every couple of weeks, something changes where you need to tweak how you're operating. Mm-hmm. You, you posted something about six months ago on LinkedIn that I, I really loved. So there's a statement that you put out and it was, it, this must have been at the, at the kind of start of, of the pandemic. And it said the first guests to visit you when you reopen are your most loyal make sure they know you know that. And I thought that's lovely. It's a really lovely statement. And it, it kind of, I think it just, it, it really felt like it was from the heart because obviously you work in an industry that you're so deeply passionate about and you could see the situation that was occurring. For any of our listeners that are, that are still preparing to open, and, and there are quite a few that haven't been able to open yet, what do you think the best way for them to do that would be in terms of, of that kind of guest experience? Sure, absolutely. So uh, looking, you know, six months back, you know, when I posted that and thinking if I were to update that in any way that this could apply to those who are still preparing to reopen and even for those who have opened and looking at what they're doing, that I would say the, the updated version of this would be anyone who visits you in 2020 is your most loyal and and the second part of that statement is the part that I think is really important, and that's make sure they know you know that. So it's one thing to have this internal message or this internal communication of your company of even saying, hey, the first people who are going to walk through our doors or everyone who's visiting us now, they are the people that have shown us that we are worth visiting in 2020 that with this heightened concern, with this decreased consumer confidence, with so many restrictions in place, uh, they've given us the opportunity to serve them. And so it's one thing to have that, that internal message, that's incredibly important, but that needs to then translate to the front of house and to those guests who are, who are coming back, who are giving you that chance. So that you know that's going to vary based off of you know based off of each particular operation or each particular business but it starts with getting to the hospitality of it and incorporating as many thank yous as possible into into the verbiage and and just what is it that you're doing to show that appreciation because i 
if you're operating or if you're planning to reopen like it's business as usual, something's going to be off. You know, it's it's not really going to work as well as as you intended to because business these days is anything but usual. So that additional component, whether it is whether you are putting up signage that says thank you for it, and it's not just thank you for visiting, but it's thank you for giving us the opportunity to provide you with the experience that we want you to have. And maybe that's, uh, maybe that's more wordy than some signage can do, but that's the <laughs> message that you really want to project to the guest and just always showing that appreciation for every single guest who walks through the door. And when I, when I posted that and when, and really the thought process behind it came from something I've been saying for many years when the economy was booming, uh, you know, everywhere of what does it look like when a guest walks in your doors or walks through your gates that what are the alternatives that they had to visiting you and what is what is your competition and that competition could be your direct competition it could be another similar type of attraction in your geographic region or it could just be another way of that person spending their discretionary dollars, spending their discretionary time, or it could be nothing to do with any of this. Um, I would do a number of guest experience training workshops and I would say, whether this was an aquarium or an amusement park or a family entertainment center or a zoo, I would say, do you compete with Netflix and put up the Netflix logo and say, yeah, if I'm sitting at home you know, binge watching uh, The Last Dance. You know, my, my wife and I have been watching that, the Michael oh, Jordan, the you know, Dunk experience. Uh, and, and I would update that then depending on the time. I'd say Stranger Things, I'd say Tiger King, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it was. But, you know, sitting at home and doing that means that I'm not getting up and visiting your attraction. So always showing that appreciation and always having that thought quickly go through your mind that not only are we this term we all hate, non-essential, right? Because we don't, we don't need attractions for, you know, the food, water, shelter, you know, component of our life, you know, health, safety. It is this, it is this uh, kind of as we go up that ladder or Maslow's hierarchy of needs that it's, it's something that we do because we want to do. And not only do we not need to do it, but there's so many other things. There's an infinite amount of things that we could be doing that whenever a guest walks in your door, whether it's during COVID, whether it's a time of economic prosperity, whether it's during a recession, whatever it is, there were so many other things that they could have done. There was a lot of intentionality behind getting up and coming to your attraction. Uh, some places have maybe more curb appeal than others. Maybe you're walking down the street and here's a mini golf course and we're going to stop in. Others require, you know, really planning an entire day or planning an entire week or planning an entire trip around visiting your attraction. So that person showing up, they weren't just planted there. There was so much thought process that went into just deciding that this is what we were going to do with our time today. So that should always be recognized and that should always be part of the guest experience mentality. Then you layer in COVID with all of this. And one of the things I started saying at the beginning of the shutdown is what else, you know, kind of with that, that Netflix mentality, what else are we competing with? We're competing with fear. We're competing with 
uh, financial decline. We're competing with um, consumer confidence levels being lower. And that, again, every guest that visits you, you, you know, you've proven to them that you are more worth it than all of these other uncertainties that we have in life right now. Uh, I love that. I think that what we've seen is is a real increase in actually really positive uh, feedback and testimonials from from the attractions that we work with and the guests that have been going to them. Because throughout this time, when they've been able to go back and visit them, it's meant that that that, that attraction has helped them make some really positive memories of this situation. Right. So the feedback's been really positive. I wanted to ask you, as a you know, as a guest experience professional. What's the best piece of customer feedback that you've, that you've ever read? Sure. Uh, so this is something, um, you know, I've been thinking about recently uh, as far as, uh, you know, if there was any particular feedback that I've read that was most helpful uh, and, and really thinking about what goes into a guest providing very useful feedback. And I actually recently found the very first blog post that I ever wrote, which was, I can't remember, it was seven or eight years ago. And it was about, um, it was about complaint tactics. And it was interesting because the article was geared towards um, consumers of saying, here are the best ways to complain. It was almost like, hey, we want to help you resolve your complaints. Here's how you can give us feedback. And it had to do with, you know, being logical and being level-headed, but not being afraid to be constructive or pointing out those flaws in an operation as long as they're being done through a private channel. And this can, you know, this can be, you know, very small things and this could be, uh, you know, much larger things. Um, when I launched Backlooper on the day of, of the launch and the announcement, I, you know, I got so much positive feedback and people said, congratulations, best of luck, uh, all of that. And then someone sent me a message on LinkedIn uh, and said, hey, really excited about this. Uh, I wanted to point out you have a small typo on your website. I'm sure that, uh, you know, maybe you didn't notice that and you'll want to fix that. And I said, thank you so much for, you know, for telling me this. Yeah, I've, I've fixed it. I've corrected it. No, I didn't notice it. That's obviously a really small example. Uh, and then, you know, I was thinking, you know, kind of what's, you know, what's on maybe not the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but I did a guest experience workshop for a client about a year and a half or so ago. And we sent out a survey to all of the frontline staff members who attended. And we specifically said, what did you enjoy about the workshop and what could have made it better? And, uh, you know, there was a lot of people who, who said that they really enjoyed it. And there was also a lot of feedback that came in as well of people saying, I wish Josh would have talked more about this particular aspect, or I wish um, this was looked at from this angle or uh, less of this because I don't think that really applied to our department. And, you know, there one or two people said, eh, I didn't really enjoy it very much because of, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. And some of that feedback can be tough to swallow. So any feedback that really grounds you uh, is sometimes the best feedback that you need because I was able to take all of these constructive, uh, critical elements of feedback and I made my training program so much better. I was so much more proud of you know, the next time that I delivered it and was able to fine tune and was able to really use the feedback that people provided me 
to be able to make those adjustments. Now, thankfully, there was also a lot of overwhelming positive feedback. So I was able to kind of balance out, you know, I need to feed my ego just a little bit. But you know, I really wanted to hear from people, what, what did you not enjoy about this? And that's really one of the big components with Backlooper too. of we really want to be able to elicit that type of response from people that we're not just looking for everything was great, don't change a thing. We get that type of feedback a lot from guests and that's fine. Uh, and then every so often it might be, you know, these, these particular, you know, components of, of saying, you know, the, the food was too cold, your prices are too high, I wish you were open later, uh, you let too many people in, your, you know, your building's not at capacity, um, you know, wh whatever it is that really helps the operator make those fine-tune changes to their operation. So anything that, uh, to, to answer your question, you know, the best, the best type of feedback is ideally provided through a private channel, so to you personally, especially if it's going to be criticism in any way, and done with a, a logical, level-headed mindset that, of course, we're, we're doing the best we can. We have very high standards. If there is a complaint in any way that the guest hopefully knows that this is not typical, uh, and hopefully that's why they are complaining, uh, because they're saying, hey, you know, I'm sure that your service standards are higher than what I experienced, but I have to let you know that the team member that I encountered in your gift shop was very rude to me. So that type of feedback, you know, sometimes it can be, it's a tough pill to swallow, but you need that type of information so you can, you can take the appropriate action with the guest, make, take the appropriate action maybe with that team member, and then put that in place and saying, okay, is this, uh, is this a fluke? Is this a single instance? Or is this something that is a longer, uh, longer term fix and a larger problem than, uh, than maybe we would not have otherwise known had we not gotten the feedback. So I guess the flip side of that is what's the worst format for feedback. And I guess we've talked about that a little bit, which is kind of, it's kind of social media, isn't it? That's, that's almost the worst level because that's putting it out in the public domain. It's not addressing it to somebody privately. It's putting it out there for all to see. So can you share any tips that you might have for attractions to manage negative feedback on social media? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And social media can be your best friend. You know, I, I don't want to stand here and say social media is terrible. You don't want to get any online reviews. You know, that is really, you know, you want to make sure that, that you're using that to, to really boost your reputation, but specifically with your guests who have, who have proven that they are satisfied. And you want to you wanna collect as much feedback privately first before recommending to post online. Otherwise, yeah, you do run the risk of, of online reviews really starting to chip away at your reputation. So when you do, whether it's an online review site or whether it's through social media, that negative feedback, the first thing that needs to be acknowledged is that whatever you're about to do to respond is in a public arena. You are in the spotlight, basically. And you've got the opportunity to alleviate the concern of any potential reader or any potential user of social media, or you have the opportunity to really make it worse. And I've seen very strong examples of both of those. And the first is really, if it is a, a subjective, it is a, a perception or opinion-based complaint of stressing that what they are describing 
is not the experience you intended for your guests to have. And the verbiage of that is very specific because you're not necessarily talking about what happened at this time. Your response is referring to what it is that the guest described. So you are responding not to the event, you're responding to the post. So if they say something like, your facility is very dirty and your staff is very unfriendly, you want to you respond not by saying, I'm sorry that the facility was dirty and the staff was unfriendly during your visit, but you're responding to, to their description of their experience. So saying, based on what you described, this is not the standard we expect for our guests. And I apologize if there was any convenience from your visit based on your experience, again, based on what you're describing. So the first is is really acknowledging that, hey, if there's this complaint here, that we wanna stress this, this is not normal. Uh, then next, you wanna really convert this to an offline channel. So you want to provide a phone number. You can provide an email address. I say a phone number because you know that if the guest calls, then hopefully they'll be able to have their, their issue resolved quicker. Um, and yes, even putting that phone number, putting that name, putting that contact information right there in the response, and also really stressing the urgency for it. One example that I've seen, uh, sometimes people will just say, you know, I'm, I apologize for the inconvenience. We hope you will give us another opportunity in the future. I don't feel like that puts closure no. to the issue. And then another thing that I've seen is, I apologize for the inconvenience. If you would like to discuss this further, here's my contact information. And I also don't think that that puts closure to it either. You really need to take the next step and say, we would like to discuss this with you and we would like to make sure that we can resolve your concerns effectively. We would like to learn more because what you are describing is not typical of the experience that most guests uh, encounter. As you can see from other positive reviews or from other, you know, other posts or from our review rating, we want to make sure we can earn our five stars with you uh, or anything, you know, any, any way that, that the verbiage fits what it is that you're looking for at that time. So when you can, please call me at this number, ask for Josh I mean, whatever the, whatever the, the protocol is from, you know, your phone tree or however people can get to you, even saying this is my number directly you really want to establish that rapport and that relationship with the guest. Uh, and then what I've seen is, is when people do call and when people do kind of take that next step to have their concern resolved, that uh, if the resolution is so effective, they will be more satisfied than if they did not have a poor experience in the first place. And this is the recovery paradox. So this is, uh, a lot of research that's been done on complaint resolution and service failure that really makes it very imperative that we are seeking out complaints, one, so we can improve the business and make it better for the future. But that interaction that we can have with the guest is we can now turn them into a loyal advocate. So if you're shying away from complaints, you're missing opportunities to strengthen guest engagement and strengthen guest loyalty, which then leads to repeat visitation. It might lead to them uh, either removing their review or updating their review and saying, just got off the, the phone with Kelly. She was amazing. She resolved my concerns and I'm so excited to go back in the future. 
And when you, when you effectively resolve that, that issue, then you see that satisfaction level grow higher than if, it, if the guest came and had a normal satisfactory experience oh, because they've had that almost like this little you know, metaphorical roller coaster. They now have a more emotional connection with the business. Absolutely brilliant advice, Josh. And it's always about it's always about the positive steps that you take to resolve these issues. There's always going to be, be issues. There's always going to be things that people will be challenge you on. But it's about listening to them and understanding and fixing them as quickly as possible. And, and it all comes down to that initial acknowledgement, doesn't it? Brilliant advice. Thank you. I feel like we've been a bit negative about social media and I want to bring it back because <laughs> I love social media. And in all honesty, if it wasn't for social media and Twitter and LinkedIn, Josh and I wouldn't even be speaking today. So for sure, there's, lot, there's <laughs> lots of positives that come from it. But I, I it's your best friend and it can be your worst enemy. Completely. <laughs> Sometimes on the same day. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I want to talk about um, Attractions Pro podcast because that's that's where I know you from. I want to know how how you came to be a co-host on Attractions Pro podcast. How did you meet Matt and how did it start? <laughs> sure. I met Matt, I, this had to have been, I want to say the year was probably 2007 and it was at the IAPA Expo and he was uh, very involved, still is very involved with IAPA's young professional group. And so we met through that. Uh, I was an IAPA ambassador that year. So I was an intern for the show and we always just stayed connected. And we actually were both working at Universal at the same time, but I was in guest services and he was in HR and those are on polar opposite sides of the resort. So we would joke that we would actually see each other and spend more time together at IAPA than we would, you know, than we would see each other at, at work, you know, with our, you know, 10,000, 12,000 coworkers all over the place. So, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't work in the same space, but we always stayed in touch and we would always make sure to, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, getting lunch or getting dinner together, if we were in the same city, going to the same conference. And we, we always just uh, had a had a good, I would say, uh, you know, relationship from that standpoint. And uh, he's, he's always given amazing advice as you know, as you can hear, whether it's from the podcast, or whether it's from any of his blog posts, uh, or any of that. And we were having dinner uh, right before a conference in uh, Saint, not in St. Augustine, in Jacksonville, Florida, so near St. Augustine. And I said to Matt uh, that, that I've really gotten into podcasts lately and listening to podcasts. And I said, Matt, I've got this really great idea. Uh, you should start a podcast. And Matt said to me, he said, that's, that's kind of funny because I started listening to podcasts too. And I've always thought that you should start a podcast. And we kind of joked about it and, and we both left that dinner of like, all right, I guess no one's starting a podcast because we just both think that the other one should start one. <laughs> uh, he emails me uh, you know, two, three weeks later and he's like, so here's this crazy random thought, but what if we started a podcast? Uh, and I said, oh yeah, I don't know why we didn't think of that earlier. So we figured out how to start a podcast. And we started reaching out to people that we knew in the industry. And we said, you know, come on the Attraction Pros podcast and uh, help help us promote it. And we'll promote it through our channels and we'll grow our social media following. And that was a little over three years ago. And 
now we are more than 160 episodes deep and you know we've been putting out fresh content every single Tuesday for over 160 straight weeks so that's the uh, I guess that's the long and short of it. <laughs> it is an absolutely brilliant podcast. And I, and the website is fantastic as well. There's so much content in there and it, it's really incredibly valuable. We're going to post all of the information to this in the show notes. So don't worry, you won't miss out on finding it. But I wanna, I've got two more questions that I want to ask you. We're coming towards the end of the podcast, Josh. Um, what is the best thing about being a podcast host? What do you love most about it? <laughs> I would say... And I know we asked you a similar question on Attraction Pro, so I'll try not to steal your answers, even though I completely agree with with everything that you can steal. That I don't said. mind; it's fun. <laughs> but I think that the biggest thing for me is the amount that I've learned. I feel like I am continually getting like an advanced degree in the attractions <laughs> industry from the people that we've brought on and the advice that has been shared and the wisdom that has has been communicated from it uh it it's almost like you know we we try to to do the interview as like a casual conversation knowing that yes we've we've got this audience we've got you know a loyal following and our social media followers but during the interview none of that really matters you know we really try to think of what what do we want to learn from you while we have this finite amount of amount of time to talk to you? And it's amazing to hear the stories that people have had in their career and the lessons that they've learned and the advice that they'd share and, uh, and the, the very practical um, tips that have come from these podcast interviews that it's just been such an amazing educational resource. And it's a bonus that, that some people tune in and listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do in their hundreds and thousands. And, and I have to agree with right. everything that you've said. It, it, it really is a fantastic way of meeting great people and learning and learning and learning from them. Um, if you, you must tune into the podcast and listen to Attractions Pro. It's, it's, it's awesome. Right. Final question for you. I love to end the podcast on a book recommendation. So we always ask our guests if there's a book that's come up throughout their career that's helped shape it in some way or just a book that they absolutely love that they would love to recommend to our guests? So I've, I've been reading a ton during COVID and I, I bought a whole bunch of books to try to read in my, my ample time that, that I've had. <laughs> and I will say I'm so glad that I listened to your interview with Ben Thompson because I was thinking I would suggest The Experience Economy. Um, but I, I won't do a repeat on that, although that I, I read the 2020 updated version of it this summer. Um, but that won't be my response. Instead, I, I've got to go with The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, oh. uh, published, I, I want to say, maybe 2007, 2008 or so. And, you know, I've listened to his podcast and, and everything that he talks about. And it's such an interesting mindset and philosophy. And even though the, the title sounds kind of like a like a, a fantasy dream type thing, and the, the cover of the book is someone laying in a hammock between two palm trees. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to work from nine to one on Monday and take the rest of the week off. But it is really about implementing uh, small changes and improvements within uh, your work life and your regular life that really help increase your productivity. And, and honestly, I'm so far from having implemented, you know, close to all of, you know, what the book talks about. But even if I'm like 1% there, I feel like it's had such a substantial impact on, you know, everything that I've been able to 
to do and produce and kind of manage and the way that I've been able to kind of implement that into my regular life uh, that I found the book to be very helpful and very useful. Brilliant book recommendation. I have read that myself and I'm still not working nine to one, which would be lovely, (laughs) (laughs) but I have definitely implemented some of the tactics from that to make things a lot easier for myself. So great recommendation. Okay. Well, as ever, if you would like to win a copy of Josh's books, then you head over to our Twitter account, which is skip the queue. And if you retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Josh's book, then you could be in with the chance of winning it. Josh, it's been really, really good to have you on today. I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. Where can we find out more about you and Backlooper if we if we want to find out a little <laughs> more about what you do? Sure, absolutely. So backlooper.com is the website. I am on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect with anybody. So feel free to jump on the socials and say hi. And Attractions Pro. Yep. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Uh, we started a YouTube channel about six, seven months ago at the beginning of COVID. So you can check out all the episodes there um, and attractionpros.com, the usual platforms. Awesome. Thank you. Um, we will put all of that information in the show notes. So if you need a record of it, it is there. Josh, I think there is only one way to end this podcast, don't you? <laughs> and that's by saying, remember, we are all attraction pros. thank you for coming on nicely done thanks for listening to skip the queue if you've enjoyed this podcast please leave us a five-star review it really helps others find us and remember to follow us on twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned skip the queue is brought to you by rubber cheese a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers you can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.